When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. First day of July. First day of the month in which sports will continue to resume on a larger scale. Major League Baseball getting started later this month. Uh, The National Basketball Association getting started later this month. And football coaches across the country, should things uh, stay the course and not get worse, will have even more access to their players who all right now are just participating in voluntary workouts with the strength and conditioning coaches on college campuses all over the country. So, an exciting month of July as we creep ever closer to football season. We have a bunch of recruiting to get to today. Uh, but Wes and Chris, looking forward to this as always. I have something else fun for you all that I haven't told either of you what it is, but I think you will enjoy. Uh, but I will save that for the end because I want to start today just asking. I, I haven't heard a whole lot, and I-, I think probably this is a case where no news is good news. But Wes, it's been a month now of voluntary workouts for South Carolina. I haven't heard anything. I don't know what you've heard, but what have you heard? Yeah, you know, I would say relatively quiet. Um, Probably, um, you know, generally this time of year, we do get a little bit of information about who's standing out, who's, uh, you know, having a good summer. I I would say, frankly, a little bit more quiet than normal. I would guess that's due to there just not being as many people around and the workouts being split up among, you know, the four different groups and and stuff like that. And uh, just a a, a different time right now. I, I mean, Obviously, a lot of the guys that impressed, a lot of the newcomers, uh, you know, from this spring, your Marshawn Lloyds, your Luke Doty's, guys like that, have still impressed, and that's not really a surprise. Um, you know, I've, I've heard uh, that some of the, the other newcomers that got in for June, you know, just looked good physically off the hoof, so to speak. Uh, but, but yeah, for the most part, um, fairly quiet, I, I think, as far as the summer workouts go right now. All right, so no news, but you can confirm that Marshawn Lloyd didn't get fat during quarantine. He got very, uh, very muscular, actually, okay, <laughs> which is uh, kind of his trend, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would have expected that. By all indications, dude has just an unbelievable work ethic like a lot of these guys do, but I just I appreciated the candor with which Will Muschamp sort of approached the start of voluntary workouts saying, yep, I know there are going to be some guys that did absolutely nothing and they're going to have to work their way back into shape. And I know we'll never probably find out who that is. And even if we do, it won't be for public consumption necessarily, but wouldn't have expected Marshawn to be one of those guys anyway. But uh, I, I just, I just wonder who it is. I'm not going to ask you all to wonder aloud with me, but I just, I wonder who it is. Uh, Chris, I don't know if it's just my circles, but it feels like people around the country are becoming increasingly pessimistic about football resuming 
either on time or in a normal capacity this fall, but maybe it's just because we haven't heard anything bad out of the University of South Carolina. Again, I would imagine I haven't heard this. They haven't reported it. This is just a, a guess based on the trends that we've seen all over the country. I'm guessing they've had some positive cases and have just handled them as the protocol indicated that they would. But maybe it's because South Carolina and the people within the university and the athletic program don't seem necessarily pessimistic about the start of football season. But where are you now compared to like a month ago in, in terms of just your, your level of optimism for football happening? Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't know if anything has actually changed. And that's something that we're sort of continually digging on. You know, I think th- there's a couple of different schools of thought to sort of what it, what is actually happening behind the scenes and then what is sort of the narrative. And, and when I say narrative, I don't even mean that in a bad way. It's just sort of what are people saying about it? What are people speculating about? It's sort of like, uh, you know, at, at the beginning of this process, way back in the spring and, you know, late February, March, you know, we were all wondering, and there's validity to why we were wondering, will there be football? Will there be, you know, will it be moved? Will we have it at all, et cetera? Um, and then, you know, we found out, you know, a while back that, hey, everything seems full speed ahead. We know there will be differences in terms of how players work out, how they prepare, how they're tested, uh, the fan situation that still isn't resolved. Now that cases have gone up in terms of number nationally, and now that there's been a lot written um, about, you know, the testing process in college football, you know, a lot of a lot of talk back and forth about whether or not it's adequate, et cetera, that we don't even need to get into. And then, you know, just this whole, uh, you know, everything that's been coming out from certain places like Clemson, LSU, et cetera, with numbers in the, you know, the 30 and a quarter of the team or whatever it may be, testing positive, that has sort of renewed uh, the conversation about, okay, are we actually close to football? And so that's a long-winded me- way of me saying that I really don't know that anything has actually changed. The conversation has steered away from, okay, we're having football. How many people can we fit in the stadium safely to, um, you know, hey, look at these numbers. Are we going to have football still? Everything I've heard, you know, I, I can't say that I've heard anything indicating that we're actually are moving away, you know, from, from having a season. I know there are some people that have become concerned about it uh, you know, in, in sort of the full iteration, Mm -hmm. I know that is out there, but I just can't grasp right now, you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's in danger or anything like that. It's Mm really, it's sort of hard to tell. And I think people are still proceeding towards the season, but just sort of with a watchful eye of, okay, you know, are things going to get worse? How are all these new, you know, things that are happening going to have an effect? Now, that's pretty much where I am, and I'm glad you share that sentiment because I sometimes feel like I'm alone in that. And it makes sense that the closer you get to something like this starting back up, the more concerned you would be because you know it's it's less time to make necessary adjustments, and it's getting very very close to to put up or shut up time and sort of passing the point of no return, as it were. But it, it I kind of again I felt the same way as you. It doesn't I don't I don't know how much has changed, but maybe just like more considerations and everything that could happen and could play out is is coming. It's coming closer to, to you know, passing and coming closer to, to being reality. Um, I, I wasn't going to go all the way down this rabbit hole, but because it happened yesterday, I, I want to ask you about it, Wes. Uh, Boomer Esiason suggested, and, you know, we heard people say this somewhat jokingly, you know, that coaches should do this, that schools should do this, and I, I think Boomer Esiason has now gone so far as to say that the players maybe, in fact, 
trying to get coronavirus on purpose so that they can basically get it over with so you don't have to worry about it cropping back up during the season. Now, there are a lot of problems with this, um, you know, maybe ethical problems if they're being encouraged to do this by their coaches or their schools. There are, you know, biological problems in that we don't actually know for sure if getting coronavirus once and getting over it precludes you from getting it a second time. Um, but, Wes, mm-hmm. on a scale of ridiculousness, with 10 being I believe this completely and 10 being this is the most farcical thing I've ever heard, where do you put Boomer Esiason's comments yesterday? Wait, what, what's my scale again? Uh, one is I believe it completely and 10 is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> I'll give it. I'll give it an eight. I mean, I, I mean, I've heard some pretty ridiculous stuff in my life, so probably not the most ridiculous. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've heard, I've frankly heard young people um, joke, uh, not football players. I've heard young people joke, "Hey, I, I wish I could just if if I if I knew my symptoms were going to be mild, I wish I could just get it, recover in you know a week and a half, and then never personally have to worry about it again." That of course makes the assumption that you can't get it again. Um, but uh, you know our our teams as a group, you know, and our coaches encouraging teams, you know, to get it just to get it over with. No, I I can't see that being the case. If that's the case, then. Um, you know that that's the that's going to be one of the biggest. If that were to come out, that would be one of the biggest stories probably in college football history, yeah. as far as uh, just something being completely you know unethical and, and wrong. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and I did did he? Here's some I've seen the headlines about it. Did did he mean that? Was he sort of joking? Was he half joking? Or uh, I mean, I haven't heard him say it. He said it on a radio show in New York. I, I've read the, you know, basically the, the written out transcript, and I, I think he's pretty serious because he went so far as to say, you know, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, places like that, you know, players are going to do this or are doing this, or I, I don't remember, you know, exactly how he said it, but he, he went so far as to name specific places where because football matters, because they're going to be in contention, they don't want to have to risk their season being derailed by, you know, Trevor Lawrence getting coronavirus and being out for two weeks in the middle of October or whatever the case may be. So I think he was pretty serious. Wow. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, like I said, I, I've heard, I have heard a few people uh, that were not football players sort of joke about that. And I would say half joke about it, honestly, but yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing to say that as a, as a thought, um, because in that thought, you're assuming you're one of the people who has no symptoms or very mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something completely different in reality to actually – like if somebody said, hey, here, you can literally have – we'll give you the virus on purpose. Um, I think that, that thought and that half joke probably quickly becomes, eh, I, I'm not so sure about that right. in, in the reality of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, you, when you're actually faced with the option to get a needle with a virus injected into you. I mean, I, I guess – Exactly. If, uh, if I'm someone sorry. literally said <laughs> – yeah. You could have it here. You're probably quickly going to be like, I, I was kidding. Yeah, and not a dead one like a vaccine. Like, here's a live virus. We're just going to yeah. inject acid straight into your blood. Um, uh, Chris, I'll ask you the same question uh, with that same 1 to 10 scale, but just just to say, you know, for, for me, I'm probably closer. I, I agree with Wes that it's ridiculous and unethical and would be the biggest story in college football history if people were, you know, willingly getting themselves sick to hopefully avoid getting sick later. But I would say, because of what Wes said, you know, I've heard other people say that, express that sentiment, not football players necessarily, but just other people. I would say I'm probably only at like a five or a six. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we found a couple people doing that. Now, I would be surprised if it were institutional, if coaches or schools were encouraging players to get it. But I'm sure there are some knuckleheaded players that are like, yeah, I'll just get it now. And, I, you know, it's not a big deal. So are, are, you, with an, are you with Wes uh, that it's an eight or a nine? Or are you with me that it's like a five or a six? Uh, I'm more on the eight or nine. Um, and I would think, you know, so I agree with Wes. It's not one of the more ridiculous things I've heard. We have heard some absolute doozies. And so that would honestly, on the conspiracy theory scale, that would that would be honestly a little bit low for me, <laughs> but but still pretty ridiculous overall, I think. And look, I, I definitely don't think there are any college coaches that are encouraging uh, that type of behavior, and I think it's evident why we are in a world now in which you know a lot of stuff from programs is coming out. You know, whether it's everything from, hey, this happened in recruiting to, hey, this was said in the weight room or, hey, this was said behind closed doors. And so college coaches have to be very concerned and, and, and rightfully so, you know, about those types of things. Um, and and I'm not, you know, saying people shouldn't bring those things like they should. But it, imagine, I mean, I agree with Wes, imagine if that came out that a coach was even indirectly encouraging us players or sort of telling them, hey, it's okay if you go get this. You know, we'll get through the season. I mean, that's crazy, you know. Uh, I mean, you'd probably be in jail, right? Well, you know, I don't don't know that. But, you know, it would certainly be a huge story. And and, and so that's why I think that on on that scale it's ridiculous. Also with players, you know, individually, if they – even if an individual thought, hey, I'm going to do this, you know, they're they're being told – be extremely careful. Think about your teammates. Think about the community. And so that's why I think most players, and I don't have any evidence about this up, but I would think most players aren't saying, hey, I'm going to go get it, and then I'm going to pass it to the rest of my team, and then we may go pass it to the campus at large and then the community. I mean, these players, they are isolated as football players at times because they're around each other so much, they're in the building so much, but they do have to go back to campus, and they're around the campus. And we've seen some numbers coming out from campuses where, you know, th- these guys have, you know, you know non-athletes. Um, you know, Georgia just released some numbers. University of Georgia, for example, where they've got, you know, such and such number of positive tests. So it's not just about an individual player, you know, getting through the years, the whole team. So I, I don't I, – I highly doubt that's happening. I certainly agree that it's not happening systemically or institutional level. I think, I think that would be absolutely crazy. Now, I can tell you <laughs> that I have heard that some – uh, you know, like college football, like power broker types have expressed, hey, if we test, you know, say weekly during the season, we're going to possibly have so many guys out that it's going to be hard to have some games. And so should we test during the season or not? And and so those types of things in college football, like the conversations have been had, I'm not suggesting that they're saying, look, hey, let's not test at all just so we can make it through, although that's been intimated to me that some people have said that. But on the, on the team level, when you're, when you're sort of giving that to your whole team, I, I don't think there's any way that's happening as far as giving them that type of instruction. I like the word intimated. Thank you for, uh, for using that. I'm going to try to work yes. that into a conversation I have at some point later today. It's, uh, it's still surreal that we're having this conversation, and we've had so many iterations of it, but again, now that we're – in July, now that we're kind of on the precipice of the season starting and, you know, fuller practices resuming, what, like July 12th, 14th, 18th, aren't they? Or when the coaches can spend 20 hours with the players, isn't that approaching in the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, that's um, – oh, God. I can't remember what the exact date is. But, yeah, I think it's about two weeks from now. Yeah, sometime middle of July. So um, just wild that we're still having these conversations and that they're getting uh, even a little bit more and more insane. Um, but uh, with that said, we do have a couple weeks before we have a, a little more actual football to talk about. So with that, we will shift gears a little bit to recruiting. A couple updates on some guys that we touched on Last week, uh, three-star wide receiver Keon Coleman and three-star linebacker Jordan Poole um, both have cut their list down, both have announced the dates on which they will decide. Uh, Wes, we'll start with you and Keon Coleman. Do you have any update from what we talked about last week? Yeah, well, Coleman um, currently plans to announce on Saturday. Uh, that, of course, July 4th, uh, Final 3, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Kansas. Again, he's the two-sport guy, plays basketball and football. That's sort of why Kansas is, is still in there as a as a real threat. But, um, you know, I, I would say the more that we've gathered on him, the more it's been pretty clear that Oklahoma is the favorite here. You know, I would look um, with him that the sort of thing is going to be, with as it is with a lot of these guys, you know, is he going to continue to sort of look around? Is he going to continue? Is he going to take any visits after he commits? I, I think I really believe he had some true interest in South Carolina if things were normal and he could have taken a visit and sort of checked out the campus and he'd probably be one of those guys, this recent trend we've seen the last couple of years, once, um, you know, spring and summer official visits were allowed, uh, you know, South Carolina probably would have pushed to get him in probably early June and, um, you know, would have sort of taken their best shot at him. And I, I think this is a situation where obviously uh, that kept him from being able to do that, kept South Carolina from being able to do that. So, uh, I, I believe it will be Oklahoma, um, assuming he goes through with the plan to commit on this Saturday. What comes after that, it will just sort of be something we have to follow. Does he does he keep taking visits, or does he just shut it down and uh, stick with Oklahoma? A lot of interesting opportunities as well when you're making your announcement on the 4th of July to do something really festive, whether it's going to be like, a, I don't know, like an American flag cake or whether he's going to somehow tie it into the hot dog eating contest. Uh, do you have any guesses, Wes? No, but a hot dog eating contest is a uh, commitment announcement that I would be here for. I mean, <laughs> you uh, honestly, if if you were just torn, you could probably just get all the coaches on Zoom and uh, just have them have a hot dog eating contest. And the, whoever would eat the most, you could just pick that school. Mm. Oh, man. Okay, that's uh, that's something we're going to have to – to mull over like an SEC hot dog eating contest, who would win? We're, we're going to need more time to dig into the advanced metrics and you know history and things like that. But that might be a, a fun, completely ridiculous conversation for even later in the summer, maybe you know post hot dog eating contest or something. Uh, uh, Chris, I don't know how to get back on track after that. But Chris, uh, Jordan Poole, uh, three star linebacker prospect out of uh, Oakboro, North Carolina, was someone else we talked about last week. He too has whittled his list down and I think has a target date for his commitment what's the latest with Jordan Poole yeah so he is down to three being uh, NC State South Carolina Virginia Tech <laughs> originally you know there have been a few different you know time frames for him at one point he, he was thinking about doing something in June but he pushed it back felt like he needed more time you know he's been moving closer for a while but just hasn't gotten to the point where he can shut it now and July 1st was his next target but he's not going to do that either told us you know a couple days ago that he felt like he needed a little bit more time. He still wants to do it sometime soon, although that timeline is not precisely defined. So, you know, South Carolina has been in that race, and we, we've heard some conflicting, honestly, sort of things. And 
sometimes when that happens, it it, uh, it, it can give you the impression that maybe the prospect himself is conflicted. And so uh, I do think all three programs, for various reasons and to various degrees, have been in that one. You know, I know there have been some really positive conversations with South Carolina staff recently. You know, Will Muschamp's been on him. Rod Wilson, you know, linebackers coach, ha- has been on him. Um, a lot of folks on staff, you know, they've been communicating with him. He's he's gotten, you know, uh, uh, more information as of late academically in terms of what South Carolina offers. We saw them, you know, put out the really well done, you know, weekend official visit video out to the public that showed some things. And, uh, you know, so, so some of those things I think have, have really caught his attention. Um, it, it's just for me, it's a little bit hard to say, hey, it's, it's this school or it's that school. I think there is, you know, a little bit of uh, the waters are a little bit muddy there and hard to tell. And I do think, hey, that's the reason why he's pushed it back a little bit. I think sometime in the near future he'd still like to commit, but not until he's, not until he's ready and has it settled in his mind. We thought we might have had that decision today, but if it's later, um, I don't know, not the worst thing in the world, especially as many decommits as we're expecting. So if guys uh, take their time and are a little more sure of it, have uh, fewer decommitments and, and less uncertainty, that'll, I don't know, that'll probably make people happy, although it's it's impossible to keep fans happy with regards to recruiting. Um, but that will be at a later date. We'll uh, keep you posted, obviously, here, and GamecockCentral.com will have it before we can even discuss it on the podcast. Uh, Wes, a three-star athlete out of uh, Riverdale, Georgia, Derwin Burgess, someone that we haven't talked about. He is planning a decision at some point this week, um, but go ahead and give me the the rundown on what the recruitment on Burgess has been and what his timetable is. Yeah, timetable looking like uh, he's going to commit Thursday. So if you are listening to this today, we're recording it Wednesday. Um, That would be tomorrow. If you're listening to it Thursday, he may have committed by the time you hear this, but yeah, he'll uh, he'll be announcing then. You know, I, I would say it's been South Carolina, maybe Georgia Tech. Um, I would guess would would be the other school to watch it. At one point, Georgia Tech was listed as a public favorite for him. Um, South Carolina though has really pushed um, ahead. I think in the last couple of months, uh, you know, Joe Cox has done a good job there uh, building a relationship, and I think we're seeing that trend. You know, Joe Cox has done a good job of. Uh, getting in and, and building good relationships with these wide receiver targets. And, uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina in really good position now. I've, I've put in my future cast for, for South Carolina to, to land Der- Derwin. And, you know, I, I think just fits this trend we've seen. Uh, Chris and I have both talked about it on the Insiders Forum, but South Carolina is just going after guys who can make plays. And I, I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily a, a matter of, are they, you know, do you pigeonhole them into one position or not? You know, I, I think Derwin's a receiver, yes, but I, I do think in general South Carolina is just taking guys that are athletic, can make plays, and really can potentially play multiple positions. And, what you you know, if you get as many of those guys as possible, um, for one, um, it, it sort of helps you in a year where we, we've talked on and on about the evaluation process being so limited right now it does add a little bit of value in that if a guy doesn't work out at one position, there's always the chance that he excels at another. But um, also just I think their approach has been not to necessarily lock into specific numbers like, oh, we can only take three receivers or four receivers, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's more a matter of um, let's just land as many playmakers as possible because there is a need there and then uh, figure it out in the future, I think. 
He's listed at 5'11", 175, so not the typical, you know, six foot eight frame that Will Muschamp likes for his defensive backs. But do you know if, if Burgess has uh, is recruiting him as a receiver or defensive back going to sway him one way or the other in his recruitment? Um, I would say that actually has worked, you know, in South Carolina's favor. The fact that I do think they want to get the football in his hands. Um, now he. I believe Georgia Tech has mentioned more safety uh, for him playing that position. I, I think that's actually helped South Carolina a bit that they uh, do see him as an offensive playmaker. I, um, you know, I, I think that, that size he's probably more of a of a slot guy, but um, you know, could he end up on defense sort of as maybe a um, you know safety or nickel type? I, I mean, you know, South Carolina certainly likes its larger taller, longer cornerbacks, but we have seen them take guys that are more safety nickel types that are that are smaller. So, um, you know, I, I would think if he ended up on that side of the ball for South Carolina, that's probably where he would end up. Someone else we didn't talk about last week, Chris, so I don't know if he's uh, new on, on the radar for South Carolina or what exactly the case is, but uh, Virginia Beach three-star edge rusher, so defensive end, outside linebacker George Wilson, has plans to commit soon. Uh, he's, a, he's a big dude, um, but still has enough speed and athleticism to be an edge rusher, but he's got a big frame. What do you know about George Wilson's recruitment and what his timetable is? Yeah, so he's on uh, – it's July 12th, I believe, right, Wes? Uh, let get you to yes, that's correct. call in some yeah. backup there. I think that's right. So Wilson, it, he's a really intriguing prospect, you know, a, sort of a long, lean edge rusher from Virginia with a really good first step that South Carolina and Kyle Krantz have been on a while. Um, I think the Gamecocks have been, had been in a, in a pretty competitive position. Um, Arizona State, you know, did a really good job recruiting him, got in early, so they were in it, had a really good relationship with that staff. Penn State also in it. They typically, you know, are in the mix with guys from that area, a lot of them. Um, South Carolina, again, the early relationship. But the school that I think is the, is the main one to watch right now is North Carolina. Obviously has some traction on the recruiting trail. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, just a lot pointing there, aside from just what we've heard. You know, Wilson, um, you know, had, I think, a top seven that didn't have North Carolina in it. As soon as UNC offered, they jumped into it. Then he trimmed his list to four. North Carolina made it there. And now – you know, went ahead and sort of moved up the decision to here in the middle of July in just less than a couple of weeks. And so I think that's where things are pointing. As Wes said earlier, and as we said with a lot of prospects, here's going to be a key question. You know, does Wilson go and take some other visits? I do think that South Carolina is still in the race. Um, I do think that North Carolina is the, the front runner right now heading into that choice. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, that's the only place he's even visited. And so that's a, that's a heavy consideration. If you want to go ahead and get something done and you visited one place and not the others, that's going to tend to weigh in, into that decision-making process. So that's where I think it is right now. Now, the South Carolina, or South Carolina, Penn State, Arizona State, are they able to get him on campus this fall? If, if things are normal, if things are open this fall, I think those are questions. And uh, he falls into that category with several others of, you know, hey, maybe they're committed to somebody else, but can you stay in it? And so uh, we'll just have to see on that one. Well, one more guy I want to talk about. This is, uh, I guess, relatively fresh news, so I'll throw this one uh, your way, Wes, because you mentioned it to me. Uh, I think you did, or, or maybe it was Chris. Chris, did you mention T.J. Sanders or did Wes? I can't remember. It was right before we started recording. 
Uh, well, I mean, I think I brought it up, but we, okay. we both talked about it a little bit. Okay. Um, All right. Well, you want to take yeah. it then since you brought it up? I'm, well, Wes, I'm giving you the Wes, floor here. Wes probably knows more about TJ. So okay. All right. I'll, I'll throw it to Wes then. Wes, uh, I'll ask you about yeah. TJ Sanders. He just mentioned on Twitter, we're recording this, as you mentioned, on a Wednesday morning, like just before we started recording, that he has a timetable now in place. What do you know about uh, TJ Sanders' timetable and his recruitment to South Carolina? Uh, right now, the uh, timetable for TJ is, uh, quote, real soon. <laughs> so I, I don't know exactly how, how soon real soon is. Sometimes for prospects, that can mean, like, uh, by noon, you know, today, or sometimes that can mean, uh, you know, a matter of weeks or something. But, uh, yeah, South Carolina, I believe, has probably been the favorite for TJ from the moment they offered. Um, you know, he's from Marion, South Carolina. It's a very short trip down the road. Uh, you know, to get to school, his family can see him play. There's a lot of connections. Uh, little known fact, he's actually uh, cousins. Uh, I'm hoping I'm getting this right with Cam Smith, uh, the cornerback at South Carolina. Uh, so th- there are some connections there. And, uh, you know, TJ's a kid that I think just wanted to take some visits. And my guess is he would probably, if things are normal, have been committed by now. Um, I sort of saw him when he first got the offer. My prediction was that he'll visit a couple of other schools and then commit to South Carolina sometime in the spring or early summer. Obviously, the visits weren't able to take place. Um, but I, I just I, I think he's liked South Carolina from the beginning. They were the first major offer. And uh, you know, if you look at if you look at his uh, Twitter right now, the the tweet that's still pinned to the top, even though he's gotten a number of other offers. It's his first offer from South Carolina, and the tweet about that. So, um, yeah, I, I just I just think it makes sense uh, for the Gamecocks here. So we will expect an update on that uh, real soon. We'll obviously talk about it here on another Carolina podcast uh, next time we do it once he's committed. But if you want the news as soon as it happens, GamecockCentral.com is going to be the place for that. Be a subscriber. You don't want to miss anything. It's just it's a ridiculously good investment so uh, go ahead and make it especially with all this recruiting news coming down the pipe and again with actual football practice and other things happening uh very soon in just a couple of weeks um guys one more thing before we move on from recruiting completely uh south carolina sent an offer to justice finkley who's from alabama he's four stars he's class of 2022 so there's still a while i want to ask you about him specifically either how Carolina's recruiting him or what kind of player he is because it's, you know, a long way off. We're, we're still very, very early in the process. But it gives me an opportunity to ask you about something that I've been curious about, and I, I mentioned it last week. Chris, committable and non-committable offers. I understand what they are. They're self-explanatory. But how, from a school's perspective, do those things work? Because I've seen a lot of people that have been upset about the the class that Carolina's putting together for 2021, too many three-star guys, too many this, too many that, look at their offer list. And when Carolina has offered someone, it's like, hey, you know, Oklahoma was interested in them. People will be like, oh, it probably was a, a non-committable offer. And I'm like, how do you know that? Like, how, how are you just speculating on these things? So take me behind a school's process in giving committable and non-committable offers. I think what it really boils down to is just competition for prospects, right? And so couple layers to it one is let's say and this is the case for most programs some do it differently like for example clemson's board at this point this has not always been this way they've built to be able to do this you know that they take a very narrow board at most positions right and they just 
not too long ago, offered their very first 2022 prospects, okay, after most people have offered 100, 200, whatever. Um, but most people are are doing it this way and have been, and I'll, I'll sort of lay out why. So the first thing is, you know, let's say you want to take four or five offensive linemen in a class. In most cases, you're not going to offer four or five and get all of them, right? So you need to offer to like a bunch of them, and you're going to want to offer – I don't know, I mean, 15 or 20, you know, or maybe you throw out 30 offers. Um, and then you sort of narrow your board, you prioritize them. Hey, I like this guy, he's my top tackle, this is my top four tackles, but we're going to recruit all these other guys, right? Because if you miss on a few of them, you want to have some offers out. That's the other thing is the competition aspect. You got to offer guys now because, I mean, we talk all the time about guys in the 2022 class for sure, but even in 23, that have a bunch of offers. Prospects want offers. It's a way to sort of show them love. You know, you don't just send them a questionnaire now or just hit them up on Twitter or have a phone conversation or drop by their school. You know, if you offer, that shows that you, you know, you're in the game. Now, does that really mean anything? No, not until somebody commits or not until, you know, you at least get a written offer, which can't happen until September 1st, you know. And so they tried to put in those things that didn't. It didn't stop, like, the, the written offer rule did not stop people from offering early. In fact, it's only accelerated because now you can just say, hey, 2023 prospect, you have an offer. And it's a, it's a way to sort of get in the game, so to speak, with the guy. So what you will see sometimes is guys, you know, get an offer, but coaches still, hey, I like this guy, but I want to see him in camp. What can he run? You know, I can't tell on tape. Is he more of a core four guy? Is he four six? Does he take coaching well? There's some questions that they might want to get answered there. And so we will see that. Now, we've also seen guys who you think, the staff thinks, hey, we, we can take this guy. But then he shows up in camp and you go, ooh, no, he wouldn't. You know, so it's just, it's an ever-changing sort of landscape. But um, hopefully that sort of sheds some light into the whole you know, the offer process, the thought process behind it, most of it's just driven by competition. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wait, for, you know, for for most for most guys, if you are waiting, you know, on a 2022 guy, if you're offering him, you know, next football season, and he already has 20 other, you know, major conference power five offers, you're probably out. You know, now there are some exceptions to that, obviously, but, but, um, you know, I, I think I think that sort of explains and lays out, you know, the whole early offer thing and, and committable, non-committable. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but Wes, that that kind of leaves me feeling like the the non-committable offer thing isn't as big a deal. It's it's not a slight to a kid like it seems like people think that it is. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, it's a. Um it's a moving target. Um, sometimes committable. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you get offered and they're like, Hey man, this is a non-committable offer. Maybe one day we'll get you a committable one. <laughs> I mean, right. you're sending out offers all when they're, when they're sent out, at least in theory, they're all created equal. Now, um, the real, the real question is, you know, and you gotta be careful. You gotta, you gotta know if there's a chance, it's a bad. It's a bad look if you say, "Hey, man, we're offering you," and the kid says, "Okay, cool, I'm committing," and then you have to be like, "Well, actually, um, 
you know, I mean, I, I think I think most offers that you send out are, you know, are are committable in theory, but then things change because you're consistently moving your board around. And uh, you know, if you're just going to send out a throwaway offer, you better you better sort of be ready at least in that moment to to accept it. Now, after time goes by, uh, you know. Maybe you you don't necessarily have to. Maybe you're still gathering information, but I, but the I mean, it's not a situation where you're you know you're like, hey, this is an offer, but it's not a committable offer. Does that makes sense. No, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and that was I guess that was sort of what I had guessed, but I I didn't really have any reason to to think that, so I appreciate you confirming that. And again, that was both a personal curiosity and just something that I've seen people talking about a lot. And I was like, do, do people just know way more about this process than I do, or are they just sort of you know, taking things out of thin air. And it seems like it was a little bit more of the latter, and it's probably just people that want an excuse to be mad about anything. So I appreciate you uh, you clearing that up and walking us through that process. One more thing I wanted to get to today, and hopefully this is a, kind of a fun way to end it. Yesterday, uh, Pat Forty, or maybe it was two days ago, Pat Forty basically published a piece where he realigned all of the FBS, the football bowl subdivision, what he uh, named the 40 bowl subdivision, and he took it from 130 teams to 120 teams, made, I think, 10, 12-team conferences, and really mixed it up. So included a lot of group of five schools. I mean, there was a cap. I think he didn't put any more than six or eight power five schools in any of these new conferences, and um, I I didn't really like it. I don't know if y'all saw it. I I just wasn't particularly crazy about it because it just seems to – it seemed to, it didn't really fix any problems. I don't think it kind of created more problems, but it coincided with uh, a little bit of homework that Eric Kimry and I gave ourselves last week, where we said, "Hey, you know, let's come up with the definitive conference realignment." Because somebody uh, called in our local show, the Extra Point on one hundred seven five, the game on Friday, and said, "Hey, what do y'all think about conference realignment? Like, who are the winners and losers?" Now that it's been, you know, almost a decade for most of the schools that, that switch conferences when everything was was going crazy in the early 2010s. And so I was like, OK, yeah, we went through and then decided to completely rework the conferences. So I spent uh, actually a lot of a lot of time this weekend writing the College Athletic Realignment Manifesto. And I wanted to run it by both of you guys and get your feedback. So I'm, I'm going to start to go through it and you'll just stop me whenever to say, hey, that's that's crazy or I like that or whatever. So you all ready? Yes, go for it. Okay, all right. So, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I, for a long time, have felt like the Power Five needs to separate itself, sort of become its own entity, just because it, uh, I'm tired of, of watching, you know, Power Five schools play FCS schools and not play enough of, uh, you know, other Power Five schools. And, and basically, it's just it's it's more of a scheduling war than it is football for, like, the entirety of the season for a lot of those teams. So, I came up with this in the interest of making it as competitive as possible and for increasing the entertainment value as much as humanly possible. So what I did is I took the 65 schools, the 64 that are in the Power 5 conferences plus Notre Dame, I kicked eight of them out, and I added three from the group of five. And so I have 60 teams that I put into five 12-team conferences. And the way that the season would work, you'd still have your eight conference games. you play the five teams in your division – and then you have three opponents that you play in the opposite division. You play them home and home, and then you play the other three in the opposite division, home and home. So that way, in a four-year span, you play everybody in your conference at home and away, which is a crazy idea that you would actually play everybody in your conference in a you know reasonable 
span of time home and home. But that was important to me to have everybody in the conference sort of play each other on a semi-regular basis. So those are your eight conference games. And then the other four non-conference games are determined by your finish in a like one to 12 ranking of each conference. So it's basically what the NFL does, where if you finish last in the NFC East, you're going to play, you know, the team that finished last in the AF, in the NFC South, North and West and, and sort of do it like that. So if South Carolina finished, you know, ninth, they were three and five. So maybe they were, you know, ninth in the SEC last year out of the 14 teams, they would play the ninth place team in the big 12 Pac 10 or Pac 12 big 10. And uh, that's how the schedule works. And in order to make it really, really work, uh, by the way, it's a 16-team playoff, and I'll explain that in just a minute, but here are the new conferences, and this is really what I wanted to get your thoughts on because I, I really shook things up here. Are you all are y'all on board so far? Does this sound okay? It's, it's a lot yes. to take in, but I think okay. I'm on board. All right, well, here's, here's the crazy part, and I, th- I think you're going to like this. So the new Southeastern Conference, it's still split up into the West and East Division. In the West, you have... Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Mississippi, Mississippi State, and Tennessee is now an SEC West team, both for uh, geographical purposes and also so that you don't have to worry about Tennessee and Alabama not getting to play each other for two years as they cycle and the you know cross-division opponent being off. Because apparently Alabama fans and Tennessee fans care deeply about that rivalry. Um, I think t- Tennessee fans would probably be happy to see it go away, but Alabama fans want it because it's a you know easy win for them most times. So that's the SEC West. The SEC East now is Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, and South Carolina. So, again, you're preserving all those rivalries. You don't have to worry about them cycling in on and off years. You don't have to worry about them being in between conferences. So some years they don't get scheduled because of your finish and things like that. That is the new SEC. How much better does that sound than the currently constituted SEC? I actually think it would be pretty fun. Yes. Okay. Wes is on board. Yeah, I like that. We'll uh, shake up. Okay. All right, cool. So the the, the shakeups, you know, obviously continue in the other conferences. Uh, the ACC, I've divided into the North and the South. In the ACC North, and this is, again, this is the college athletic realignment manifesto, so it's not just football. So we're thinking about basketball here, and the ACC is going to be really good at basketball because they have in the North, Kentucky, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia. And in the South, they have Central Florida, Duke, Maryland, Miami, North Carolina, and North Carolina State. That's the new ACC. I think that's uh, that's interesting for basketball purposes too. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I think about that, yeah, um, yeah. You know, an interesting thing that I had uh, thought that just ran through my head is this was years ago uh, when all the expansion talk of the SEC was circulating. I think, and, and this was before uh, Missouri came on board in the SEC. This is when there was a lot of talk about like Big Twelve, you know, all, all that different movement with the Texas schools, et cetera. Um, I remember being told that the late Mike Slive always had wanted to make a play at at Duke and North mm. Carolina into the SEC. Now, would that have ever happened? I highly doubt it. But he wanted it, mm-hmm. you know. So I, th- I think that's sort of interesting. Yeah. It's not really a fit, you know. When you think of SEC, you definitely don't think of Duke or North Carolina. Um, yeah, culturally a little ACC bit different, but definitely way, would have made you know? the SEC a better yeah. basketball conference. Or whatever that's yeah, worth. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that's I think that's what he's looking to tap into. Yeah. You know, just sort of that that play power play. Um, all right, so the Big Ten is next. That's also divided into West and East. And I, I really wanted to to take geography into consideration here because as much as I like having Texas A and M in the SEC, I think it's a good fit culturally. It's kind of silly that they're a thousand miles away from Columbia and they're in the same conference. So I wanted these conferences to make a lot of 
geographic sense. So you have teams west and east of the Mississippi River in the Big Ten. In the Big Ten West, you have Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. And in the Big Ten East, you have Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Pittsburgh. I like uh, I like the Notre Dame in the Big Ten a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that yeah, should have happened. Anyway. Lot, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll run through these uh, the last two conferences quickly. Uh, the Big 12, I've divided into the Texas Division and the not-Texas Division. And in the Texas Division, I have Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. And in the not-Texas Division, I have Arkansas, Kansas, Kansas State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Uh, Kansas in there, mostly for basketball, but also I always forget that they have less miles, so that's at least you know worth like the entertainment value of watching a Kansas football game, or at least the... The press conference afterwards, so that's the new Big Twelve. I really, I'm actually that's my favorite conference that I've realigned. And then the Pac-12, I have divided into the good weather division and the bad weather division. And in the Pac-12 good weather, we have Boise State, Cal, Stanford, UCLA, Southern Cal, and Utah. And in the Pac-12 bad weather, we have Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington, Washington State. And I know what you're thinking. There's some schools that are missing here, and uh, the eight schools that I kicked out of the new Power Five are Boston College, Colorado, Illinois, Iowa State, Purdue, Rutgers, Vanderbilt, and Wake Forest. And I added Central Florida, Houston, and um, somebody else. Oh, and Boise State. Are you all good with that? Are, are y'all, would you have any qualms of kicking Boston College, Colorado, Illinois, Iowa State, Purdue, Rutgers, Vandy, or Wake Forest out of the Power Five? I mean, it doesn't bother me personally, but in reality, in the reality of it, how I mean, how do you get away with just kicking them? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a that's an awkward conversation with the, I guess those ads that I'll let like, somebody else have. You know, like in in you know in in theory, like in our NCAA video game here or whatever, I'm cool with all this. It's just a matter of like, is Kentucky going to give up SEC football money mm. to go play in the ACC? You know? It, yeah, probably uh, not. Same it, with Missouri. And are South Carolina and Georgia going to band together to do everything they can to keep Georgia Tech and Clemson out of the SEC? Mm-hmm. Probably so. Probably, yes. So, I mean, yeah. I think in as far as being better for college football, absolutely. And I and honestly, the the sort of this point can I mean can Clemson really get any better than they already are right now? So I I know, but if you'd throwing this out there 10 years ago before Clemson had been on this run, mm-hmm. South Carolina would do everything in their power mm-hmm. to keep Clemson from getting a hold of that SEC money. At this point, Clemson actually having to play a week-in, week-out, tougher schedule, um, even though they would get more, you know, obviously SEC money, might actually be better for South Carolina because there'd be chances for Clemson to lose games and right. maybe, you know, lose a little bit of their shine that they have right now. So, um so I don't know. Would, would, would Clemson, I think the question is, would each team in your scenario, or each school, I should say, should each, would each school actually go for these moves? Um, would Clemson leave the ACC for the SEC, knowing that they have it made, where they're literally the most talented team every single week? And it's not play? close. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not pl- close. Now with Florida State, Florida State to me probably needs. I mean, they they owned the ACC for so long, but now they need some type of 
boost, you know, something to jumpstart them. Would they make the move to the SEC if it was available? I would say probably so. Um, would Kentucky, like I said, would Kentucky leave the SEC for the ACC? There'd have to be some crazy incentives from the ACC to make that happen, I would think. Yeah, I don't know what the financial realities would have to be other than maybe like as a Power Five, they would just get like a, a collective TV deal and that would be distributed to conferences and then distributed evenly to teams and you know maybe like evening out the money somehow across the entire 60-team pool instead of having the, the huge variance between conferences would maybe be one way to do it. But I guess just in terms of football, I, I, I don't know. I'll let somebody that, that's in charge of the uh, – that's like an economist or something – deal or a financial advisor deal with that part of it but the last piece of the puzzle is an expanded playoff which i think we all want we're going to keep the college football playoff intact we're going to expand it we're going to keep the college football playoff committee and what's going to happen is you know you're going to have each division winner by the way divisions are actually decided by division record which i know is like just does not make any sense to people in charge of college football i know that's an insane idea but if you go five and oh in your division you're going to win your division. That's just the rule. And the two division, you know, again, the two division winners play. There's a conference championship. The five conference champions are the first five seeds in the tournament, and the seeds are, are decided uh, by the college football playoff committee. So you have your top four seeds, and then someone's going to be on the outside looking in. That's decided by the committee. The other five division winners are slotted into seeds six through ten. So if you win your division, you're automatically in the college football playoff, but you're in sort of the second tier of the seeds. Now, that's an idea that I stole directly from Eric Camry, I think that's a really, really interesting idea. Um, and again, the, the seating will be determined by the College Football Playoff Committee. So when the first eight teams in the field of 16 get home field advantage, there are going to be three division winners that get to host in the first round and two that are going to have to uh, play on the road somewhere. So anyway, that's the 10 teams. And then you'll have four at-large teams from the rest of the Power Five and then two group of five schools so that they have a chance. And if you get somebody, even though we're plucking Houston uh, Florida, uh, not Florida State, uh, Boise State and Central Florida from the group of five into the new power five. Maybe if, you know, BYU has an awesome year or Hawaii or something like that, they will have a chance to compete in the college football playoffs. So that's your field of 16. That's how divisions works, the new conferences, everything. Um, if y'all are on board, just tell me to whom I need to send this to make this happen. Because I, like I said, I spent a lot of time working on this this weekend and I'm now really excited for it. Um, great question. I do, I do not know. I have Wes. Do you have any guidance on who he can uh, mail that to, or email it to, fax it? I, I don't. Just Mark Emmert um, at NCAA dot com. Yeah, yeah I, that, I feel like he probably your best gets bet. a lot of. Yeah, he probably gets a lot of suggestions. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, on 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 some pretty common sense things, uh, much less overhauls that they uh that they are very slow to move on. So mm. I, I'm. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm not so sure that you have a great chance on that. Yeah, no, you're you're probably right. I just uh, and and I did this on my show yesterday. So if you listen to the show and you listen to this, uh, first of all, thank you, and second, uh, sorry that you had to listen to me do that twice. But I just I really like this, and I want this to. I mean, it's never going to happen, but I would like for this to pick up some momentum because I would like I would like something like this to happen, even if we don't rearrange all the conferences. Just like you know, in in some way. In some way, make it a little more competitive, a little more entertaining. Uh, that's that's what I'm in favor of. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I'm doing to keep myself entertained during uh, during during the off season. But like I said, we're just a couple weeks away from having less off season. We're gonna have Major League Baseball and NBA and football starting before we know it. So uh, keep tuning in to another Carolina podcast, and we'll have as much football news as we get. Um, and GamecockCentral.com as well. I'll have it before we get it on the podcast usually so be sure to subscribe to gamecockcentral.com and the gamecockcentral podcast network 
For Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.